Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. Welcome, welcome to Fight Performance Protest. Mark Brewer is your host, bringing you the latest in performance training from the fight community. Welcome to another episode of Fighters Performance Podcast. You're here with Mark Brewer and Jose DeRosha. All right. 12 months later, good work. <laughs> oh man, what a name. Love it. Also, we have Avisa Pavlich in, in the studio today. We're talking about Olympic pathways, Olympic judo pathways. So what direction he took and what direction other people can take from New Zealand, Australia to Olympic Games and, and, and world-level judo. I didn't make it, though. Just, I didn't make it. <laughs> well, we'll give you an insight into Vita. So he is uh, a New Zealand, New Zealand judo athlete, training, competing for uh, a, years, long, a long years, time, about 10 years. years internationally, multiple-time Oceania title holder and national champion, Commonwealth Games, a representative and Olympic hopeful. Yeah. Anything to add to that? Um, Other than New uh, Zealand judo coach. He's currently based in Sydney here in Australia. He is a professional coach at UNSW Judo Club and also part of the New South Wales state, state coaching staff. And 2019, he will be New South Wales men's state coach for New South Wales. Anything to add to that? Uh, no, I'm sure there's a lot more we could add or a lot of results and all that. But, you know, let's let's move on. Like, we've, we've only got 45 minutes, man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> let's get right into it. So, I feel like, uh, first of all, I feel like you've surfed around so many countries. You are, you know, did represent New Zealand. You were based in New Zealand for a long time, obviously growing up. But I feel like you've surfed around so many countries. Where do you call home, like? Oh, New Zealand. <laughs> New Zealand? Mama, cool. Yeah, like, you're right. Just lived, to make that clear. I lived in a few places, yeah. yeah. We, we lived in Uzbekistan together, you know, yeah. fun times. I've done uh, a bit of traveling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Germany. Uh, I lived in France as well. lived in Budapest. Yeah, there's been a few. Been a few. Never went to Portugal. Yeah. Sorry, bro. It's not, not a strong judo culture over there. It is. Yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, right. Portugal. Oh, yeah, actually, they do all right, bro. <laughs> Won a bronze medal at the Olympics, that's right. Yeah. No, you got yeah. Where did your career start, Avita? Where did your career start? Or judo career? I yeah. started judo in Hamilton in New Zealand. Hamilton, lovely, unfortunate place. But um, don't say that. New Zealand, <laughs> every place in New Zealand is it's nice. Not, isn't it? Yeah, it's that's a, what they say. I was actually, as a kid, I actually started judo in Palmerston North, but I started kind of competing and stuff when I was in Hamilton. And you know, as hmm. a sore kid, started training full time. You know, well, I say full time, like seriously, judo every day sort of thing at about 14, I think, in Hamilton. And there's two judo clubs there, Metro Judo Club and Hinkata Judo Club. They're still, they're still running, both of them. So, yeah. Then, you know, eventually you kind of have to have that kind of moment where you go, oh, I need to go overseas to train. And then, you know, went to Japan first, went to Europe, kind of went like that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So going overseas, you you obviously in New Zealand there, and as the, the world's caliber of judo are overseas. And yeah, and what countries would you say? Uh Japan, all of Eastern Europe, all of Europe, um, like Middle East, Brazil, Cuba. It's quite Russia. widespread. Yeah, yeah, everywhere. Yeah, 
You're looking at everywhere except Australia. <laughs> Australia. <laughs> Is that what you're well, trying to say? No, no, no. <laughs> like we do, we do okay. We do okay for the way isolated for for the isolation and for the you know the resources that we have. We actually we actually do all right. Hmm. Punch below uh, above the belt, right? Yeah, <laughs> not below. The belt. <laughs> not allowed to punch below the belt. <laughs> what kind of what Wait. kind of hurdles as a young guy? Like you realized early on that you, you had to leave. To oh, progress, what kind of challenges? So everyone, yeah, like everyone maintaining has... maintaining a structured training program yeah. within New Zealand for that time you were there. How did what resources did you did you manage to be able to facilitate that? So first thing that happens is um as uh, probably fourteen or fifteen, I went and competed in Australia, and you know like the level is the same New Zealand and Australia. The level's about the same. But then you take that next step. I think I had it at about 17. We went to Korea and um, went to Korea and fought at a competition and, you know, lost, lost, had two fights, lost. You're like, okay, well, I've got to change something here. You know, so you kind of, you start to review, like, am I training enough? These guys are stronger than me. am Am I doing the right stuff in the gym? And you kind of like, so you go, you like what I what I constantly as a coach now what I constantly say to athletes who are aspiring for that international level is okay you don't necessarily have the same quality training partners here as you do if you were training in Europe or Japan or wherever but there's no excuses that you have no excuse for not having the same fitness level as those athletes like if you're not doing your running or you're, you know, you're getting your heart rate up, doing that high intensity training, there's no excuse for that. And also, you know, gym work. We know we know what European level athletes, judoka, are lifting in the gym. We have those numbers. There's no reason why, if you're an athlete here, you're not doing those numbers. Mm-hmm. You know? Those are some. Yeah. Those are the kind of simple things that. Um, so those are the, you're optimizing the resources that you have yeah, available yeah, yeah. to you, right? Because you know, yeah. out here, I feel like we've got access to a bit of food. We've got access to yeah, yeah, like, supplements. We've got like, access you compare, to strength and conditioning yeah. coaches and the right information. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, although there's, you know, there's a certain amount of um, personal trainers who people go out and re- reach out for the closest personal trainer who's never seen judo before. So yeah. it's better to have <laughs> it's better to have um, personal trainers with you know, you know, who yeah. have coached fighting athletes before at least like grappling athletes even better but yeah yeah i know the struggle and that's part of the reason why we we created this podcast is to support fighters with the right information and point them in the right direction of strength and interesting coaches that can do you know facilitate the training training that they need yeah right yeah exactly like you know if you if you're building uh if you're a fighter and you're building a training program there's no point getting a basketball coach involved you know it's like you know (laughs) (laughs) pretty simple right yeah but uh like where when did you decide to make this a career pursuit uh judo yeah judo because you know knowing you had these hurdles in front of you and knowing you knew you wouldn't have access to to maybe the 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 highest level of judo and knowing you wouldn't have access to these things around you well when i first wanted to be a high-level judo player, like I didn't, you know, I wanted to go to the Olympics of judo. I wanted to win an Olympic medal. Didn't pl- pan out like that, but 
I knew that from about 13, 14, or even 12, I remember thinking about it. So that was, that was ingrained in me fairly early on. And I had a work ethic from fairly early on. Maybe I didn't – actually, I know I didn't train that smart when I was that age because I was just listening to whatever coach was on the mat at the time and I you yeah. know, didn't who, have – Who have limited experience. Yeah, who, yeah like, exactly. Like you, suppose, can't, you can't hold it against someone who's doing their best and volunteering their time to help you. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. You know, I, I realise a lot of coaches in New Zealand are volunteers. Yeah, they yeah. were athletes – I suppose, you know, they, they didn't have the, the international experience that most, yeah. I mean, most coaches don't get that international experience no, yeah, and they, they don't get the exposure to the highest level of judo. So especially, they're drawing on their experiences to then yeah. forward on to the especially, next Especially uh, yourself, you're from Mochuaca, it's a small place. Yeah. My, me, Hamilton, it's not a big place. So you're kind yeah. of like, you've, you're dealing with people who have limited international exposure and, you know, it's not their job. They're just turning up volunteering at a yeah, club. And I take what, my hat off to them. Yeah, they're doing a fantastic job. But what it means is they don't think about it in a scientific manner. They just do the same thing. They've been exposed. They, yeah, 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 that's what, they what I'm saying. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They they yeah. Turn up, warm up, do a little bit of technique, fight, and that's it. You know, mm-hmm. same, same I'm struggle I'm sure there's a struggle within every sport out yeah. there. I mean, you know, every fight sport, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Like, yeah, and it's... Um, you know, that's one thing. Uh, what is the differences in, in judo? You know, like, majority of judo is unfunded, especially from New Zealand, Australia. And those coaches, you know, like, don't have the, any money or resources. Mm. So they have to have the, the stream yeah. of income within their club to actually make it successful. And, like, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? Like, I feel like those clubs, you know, the more successful ones are the ones with... You know, a lot of students, a lot of Cost. money flowing yeah. through there, yeah. and they have the resources oh, available look, to them to travel and ex- get exposure to the, when, to the best, best guys, I suppose. When you add professionalism into a situation, if you add professionalism, it's got to get better because suddenly there's accountability for what you're doing. So if you're a coach and you're not a professional coach, it doesn't matter whether you run a good session or bad session if you run the same session every week. There's no accountability there, whereas if it's your job, and you need members coming in or at a higher end of things, at the high performance level, if your your job is to create results, mm-hmm. then there's accountability there. So you what you have to you have to plan, you have to think and you have to structure mm. structure your trainings and your um development program in a different way. So there's that kind of and when you have professionalism, that kind of switch happens in the coach and that kind of mm. that's an important th- factor, I think. Yeah, so so I moved here to train and, and uh, compete from Sydney to be close to home, close to those resources in New Zealand yeah. and family. But yeah, yeah like I feel I came to UNSW Judo because it was well supported. There's a lot of structure there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were professional coaches. There were people that put a lot in, into the the professionalism of the club, mm-hmm. and that, that's why I chose to come to Sydney and, and train out of there. Yeah. But um, yeah, like there's a lot of, like where. Where money flows, success goes. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm. and they have nearly four hundred students. So yeah, they can over four hundred. Yeah, over four hundred. Yeah. So they can facilitate that that professionalism, pay their coaches who yeah. are going to invest more time into structuring that program, yeah. right? Like yeah. yourself, and that's why you now work at UNSW Judo Club as a professional yeah. judo coach. Yeah. So um, that's that's cool, man. So you know, going back there, I mean. You can't hold it against those. those no, coaches, no, but no. Of course not. You like 
you do you do the best that you can with what you have available, mm. right? Always, and um, you know they're as you said, they're volunteers. They're giving up their own time to try to help other people, and they've got passion mm. about judo. And you just got to take your hat off to them. And yeah. So, what other is knowing that? What resources did you call upon to really facilitate a full time training program? Oh well, <laughs> obviously like minded, you know, athletes. Yeah, I had um, I had growing up in New Zealand, I had. You'll know a few of these names. Like I had I Sean Choi. Yeah. Sean Choi is one training partner. I had Kurt Kirby. You know Kurt. Yeah. There's another. There was four of us, Lee Bronkhorst and myself. There was four of us who were kind of like on the national team in Hamilton at the same time. And we kind of we kind of like rustled up a whole bunch of other guys. Like you'd, you'd turn up. I remember you'd turn up to a guy's place at five in the morning, honk your horn until he bloody got out of the car. And got you know got out of bed and we yeah, went yeah. down to the track and did laps and things like that you know um, you kind of you kind of forced to think outside the box a little bit because you know and you'd just go to every club you'd go to every club close by oh is it this judo here tonight this judo here tonight there wasn't one club that had constant training mm-hmm. on so you'd go everywhere. It means that one night you were doing one thing, the next night you were doing something completely yeah. different. So you had exposure to more than one coach. It was yeah, like, well, that's a good side of it. That's a good side. Of I you think get it's a good thing. The more mm. coaches, the more uh, the more minds you have. Yeah, but, it'd be kind of like a, an exercise salad, though. You wouldn't. There would be no progression. It would just be judo. You'd be doing judo <laughs> and judo. judo. Because, yeah, the thing yeah. is, the thing is, um, yeah, it's <laughs> there's one side mm. of it. Like there's no. There's no direct focus for oh this athlete is going to do this this athlete is going to do that but we kind of we just kind of we made do and we just mm-hmm. did volume judo because this you that's, know that's what you had available yeah exactly it wasn't necessarily bad trainings but what the other side of it is for example at a training we had our ourselves like the high performance team guys and we had some developing athletes who were like under 17 New Zealand mm. team you know they were there too and then you had like casual old guys you know and guys who are trying to keep fit young guys are trying to use, yeah yeah you had like so you had like you had every single niche in the same class so the poor coach is trying to you of know course. trying to make a session that's yeah. going to be okay okay for everyone yeah, of course you know, so it's like, you know, it doesn't make it easy, but just mm. deal with what you got. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you do you see any changes coming to like to Australia, New Zealand that potentially could take judo to the level that you were exposed to internationally? Uh, there's a lot of people who are trying to do their absolute best and mm-hmm. doing good work. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of there, there's in New South Wales particularly, there's a few guys who are. Thinking about, like th- there's two there's two points here, and one is there's a lot of good people who are doing a lot of good things. Like Nick Lowe is the president of New Zealand of New South Wales Judo. He's doing a fantastic job. You have um, Phil McDermott, who's the director of mm. New South Wales Judo. He's doing a great and job. And they're looking at growth of yeah. judo through the the grassroots level, yeah. opening you clubs, got, and I think yeah. judo has expanded in New South Wales by thirty percent. That's good over yeah. the last six. 10 years or something like that. Mm. It's doing really great. You got a guy called Mike Griffiths who's like, he's, um, he's, uh, in, in charge of, um, coaching pathways and coaching development so, for Judo Australia. He's doing a fantastic job. And you got, then you got, um, people who are doing stuff on the club level. So if you look at, you know, W Judo club, Warren Ross, uh, 
built up that kids program. Now we have over 300 or 400 kids. Damn. And he did that himself. And then you look at the other side of it. You look at the other side of it. You got Morgan Endicott Davies and Joe Costanzo at Zembu Judo and Silverwater. And they, they're doing a fantastic job. They've got about... So you turn up there on a Monday night and you've got 50, 60 athletes on the mat training and fighting. And, you know, and, and, and then you on the other side of it, you got got uh, Budokan Judo in where the Castle Hill, and they've got two Olympians floating around there. So, you know, and a whole bunch of it. And half the, half the junior national team is from that club. So, you mm-hmm. know, there's, there's individual clubs that are doing brilliant things around as well. So... Mm. So it's, in terms of development, it goes both in a club thing and an organisational mm-hmm. thing. You know, the state body and the national body have to do their part, but clubs do their part too. But the other side of it is... Um, There's a lot of sides, bro. You're so right. that was one. That was one. That was a little about, point. Is about a four, four and the other point. The other point of it is um, you mentioned high performance to get our guys to that point. But that's the top of the pyramid. That's the top one percent of the organisation that you're dealing yeah, with. I mean, what two percent, three percent of people actually get their black belt, get their black yeah, belt, yeah. Right? So, so what? But what uh, also needs to happen is, um, as an organisation like New South Wales Judo, they can't just focus on that top tier, of course, because then they neglect everything underneath it's it. Extremely it's like income yeah. from the bottom, right? Yeah, yeah, like. New South Wales, uh, UNSW Judo Club makes its income from their bottom tier, the kids judo. So that's where kind of you have to have that other focus as well. So How many of them 400 students have got there are actually uh, kids? Like, oh, say, 300 kids, 100 adults. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, like 360 kids or something like that. And Crazy. Hopefully those 100 adults. 100 adults are all on the mat at the same time. Uh, they, <laughs> it's a rarity. But. <laughs> I want to see three kids on the mat at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, as... I work there, and I tell you, I do not want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> there's the space. In, yeah, there's space yeah. in that big butt. So how did, during those developmental stages between, what, 15, when you decided this was, an Olymp- this was a goal to get yeah. to Olympic Games, how, how did you learn how to prepare, train and prepare your body? Like how did you get the, facilitate those resources? Like Instagram wasn't around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Facebook wasn't established then. Like, you know, you're telling them how old I am. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm sure you, I can we, tell before you, we go you on. You on I don't know if you can see on the camera, but your fucking wrists are ridiculously massive, both you guys. <laughs> what the fuck? His wrists. Anyway, it's just sort of too much free time. <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> Lonely. <laughs> Trust me, oh, yeah. it's not from that. Anyway, <laughs> how do you learn Jesus. to train and prepare your body, bro? Okay, so like, how did you pull on those resources? Yeah, you know, when you I when mean, you these we're, days we're, we're lucky. We're, right? we're all getting but, old. We're all getting old. All three of us, let's mm-hmm. admit. And now, but when you're at that kind of developmental athlete phase, when you're when like fifteen through like eighteen or twenty, you know nothing happens to you. You, you train. You have a like. You know, you train, you have some food afterwards, you can train again. You know, like now, now if I did a, I did a gym session this morning, I'm not going near a gym for another 48 hours, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it goes, right? Like um, when you're kind of a developing athlete, you just kind of take it all in and you're kind of – you're doing a gym workout and you have half an hour. Well, this is the correct way to train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, at like, the time, you don't feel you it, learn you know. This? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like – um. Yeah, well, you you got to learn this as you go on. He's telling us your body's old. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's but moved what, on. But you know, like as you get older, as you get older, and you start, you know, one thing I would tell my young self is less is more. 
Like, so train smarter, not just 100%. Yeah, train smarter, do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Watching Full nutrition. results, for sure. Watching nutrition, you know. I mean, those... M&Ms aren't pre-workout. I, I mean, those <laughs> pillars, like, of, you know, your nutrition, you know, yeah. your, like, your physical strength and conditioning, you know, those kind of things are absolute must, right? Yeah, like, just sure. getting yeah. it right. So, I mean... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... Once again, you know, find the right program. Well, not everyone's different. Not everyone's the same. I mean, but, I know, guess yeah. now we're at a benefit because we've kind of got access to more information mm, yeah. on social media, but we're also kind of behind because it's so saturated. People are putting yeah. so many random things out there, and yeah. your average PT will tell you they can train you. You know, yeah, you know, well, like. But, you know, for a judo athlete, what you need cleans, you need squats, deadlifts some kind of pulling exercise rows or, um, you know, it doesn't need to be an elaborate gym program. Mm. It's like a little bit of shoulders, military press, and a tiny, I, I don't like bench press, so I don't yeah. want, I'll say a chest exercise, but not bench press. But yeah, there's like six exercises plus abs. Cool. Seven so things. we'll call them movement patterns. We'll yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm making them very simple, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't so, need a, I don't, I don't know if the clean is simple, but <laughs> I mean, for an athlete, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But what, I mean, what I mean is, um, there's these overly complicated um, people have these overly complicated um, training um, gym programs, and you don't really need it. You just need, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. So you need the core bread and butter exercises. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Obviously, with a seasoned athlete, you know, majority of them should already have their like, basic mobility and stuff. So, so. Yeah, I mean, you'd correct. be amazed how many athletes come to the gym and they, like, they haven't built a repertoire of movement patterns mm. and they aren't very efficient in coordination and yeah. timing and, and those sort of things are built the, in the gym as well. Yeah, the, so, other I mean, thing, the other thing I would like to mention <laughs> about the gym is, you know, like that, that people tend to neglect, especially developing athletes, is technique comes first. Yeah, 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 oh, for yeah. sure. Like and everything you do in the gym has got to facil- like facilitate your ability to perform your technical side of things. So same as judo, if you you know technique comes first, you develop the technique. If you practice bad technique at a fast rate, your body's you know your muscle memory is training the wrong thing. Yeah, you know, and that happens quite often in yeah. judo or, or right fight now. sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So, like on your journey. You know, to pursue Olympic, you know, medals. Yeah. Right. Who, who inspired you to take and pursue that that goal? Oh, like okay. So there's obviously, um, you know, there's a few guys when I was a kid in New Zealand who I was looking up to, and they got to the Olympics. Like, um, you know, Tim Slyfield. Tim Slyfield was one we know quite well. There's a few other guys. Um, you know, Brent Cooper. You know, some New Zealand judo Olympians, and then. Um, then later it becomes, you know, your guys who you, you turn up to international training camp at a young age. Like, oh, shit, I want to be like that guy. You see what he's doing on the mat? Yeah. And then also, you're, you know, you, know I, you get motivated by your rivals as well. Like, yeah, I, you, me, me yeah. and you've motivated we, each other. We were actually life. rivals yeah, yeah. forever. <laughs> we were always in the same division. Yeah. So, you know, at a national level, international level. But for for me, it was always like, you know, you kind of need someone chasing you. You mm-hmm. need someone chasing well, you. Well, someone you push each other, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's – I feel our division was the most competitive because of that. Like, Especially at Oceania level, um, yeah. you had a 
there's about four or five of us, six of us who were, who could all beat each other on the day. And, you know, it was like, especially Joe. Joe was there as well. This guy, <laughs> Joe. And, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, Joe, um, we had Brent Iverson, Owen Coughlin. We had a few guys there who we could, all, yeah. who could always punch each other, you know, punch above each other mm-hmm. on the day. So they made it. And it was actually healthy. Competition's healthy. It makes yes. each other, we make each other better. Yeah. So competition's yeah. healthy. You, yeah. you need those people, and you need yeah. those people around you to to really uh, inspire and push you to get better. Because yeah. like you can't get too relaxed about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you got to train. You got to train like your second. Uh, fight like your first. And what competitions did you see as the pinnacle, like of your competition? Because. Like you could go back to nationals and and you know there would be those other people in your division or you know yeah and you're not always gonna be the one the victorious on the day but looking internationally is where it's at right like yeah 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 uh I had a good day how do you feel? I had a good day in Rio World Championships you were there yeah that was a good day it was uh, got to the fourth round so top 16 that was a nice day so I mean are those international results what you're looking for oh for sure like, yeah, no, like, um, like I feel a lot of people I, I, just I, take I, too yeah, much too much focus on like yeah I'm state champion yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. dude that's not your so goal so that's what I'm going your for goal I mean, is, there's a good opportunity goal is to get those here. results out there but yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 but like you know like like was, you being I, the best in Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but, like, but, yeah. but I mean, what I, what at I mean a particular is, level, yeah, there is. But you know, look further than that. When you yeah, flip that and put that on your notch, then like yeah. I always say, next. I always say to developing athletes, one win, like winning a fight in Europe, winning a fight in Europe is a bigger achievement than winning a national title in New Zealand or Australia. Winning a fight at a European World Cup. Would you agree? Agreed. Yeah, yeah. Because that's a that's a the pool's so much harder, and you're fighting an athlete who's trained more and had competed like more intensely at a higher level than anyone you're going to meet mm. in this part of the world. I mean, I feel you can't compare and judge yourself against anyone around the gym, but you're looking at the standard internationally and going, "Look, I want to be there." Like yeah, yeah. you know, you, yeah, so, like yeah. There's there is a bit of um. Put yourself There's, in a bigger pond. Basically. Yeah, exactly. I was what I was going to say is there is a big fish, small pond syndrome around Oceania's year that annoys me a bit. Like um, it's like, come on, this. I'm not going to mention any names because it's, please don't. You've yeah. mentioned a lot already. Yeah, but no, sorry, I'm talking, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a podcast, right? I, mean, I know. Talk. Yeah, we're, um, we're talking. And like, yeah, so you, you get guys who don't want to go compete, like at international events because they don't get the same results and it's just like a not the right not the right frame of mind really hmm. one thing that i noticed on my recent travels to you know, in russia um athletes uh fight athletes like uh, obviously mma is huge now uh, with kabib and, and stuff yeah. right now in russia but i remember uh seeing a guy in a gi on a billboard at a bus stop and I said to the friends, I was like, who's that? And they rattled off some name. He's like, oh, he's one of our judo athletes. I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. Like, they're using judo athletes for, like, you know, promos and ads. And I was like, fuck, like, we would never see that here. Judo's massive in Russia. Yeah. It's like a, like one of the main yeah. sports. And I just thought, like, fuck, you know, like, we got, we got when, pres- when, pres- yeah. when presidents uh, 
like oh, yeah, judo the, man. The, the yeah. prisoners like yeah, a black belt in judo. Right. Like he loves. Allegedly, they yeah. love it. Allegedly, a black belt. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. YouTube um, black belt. Yeah, but you yeah, know, mate, um, what I if think, he's listening uh, to this podcast? I think I'm going to take it now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, Mr. Putin. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Putin. <laughs> I, take, I take everything back. Uh, no, but they, um, these athletes have got huge exposure amongst a like saturated market of all different sports. Like Russians are fucking, they do everything. You know? Yeah, yeah, uh, they're good at so many sports. They are, yeah. and, but they get, they also get um, huge state funding. So yeah, it yeah. travels, their training, subsidized um, by yeah, a yeah, lot of yeah. supplements. Yeah. That's right. Um, supported. Um, so, man, like we're talking about competing against an athlete that trains full time. He's paid to train. I mean, at the end of the day, what are they going to do? They're going to be a queen's guard or, guards or something like but, that. Whatever. But, <laughs> you know, but they're getting paid. And like you guys but yeah, you got to train in the gym and then yeah. go and do a fucking nine hour day on a building site or yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know, that's um, and that, like, how do you break that? How, well, how do you break that? You've got to, one thing is what we often don't do here is train smart. And it's like you can't – in Russia, the guy, you, the athlete you're talking about, for example, he's got 40 guys on the mat who are the same weight category and they're training. Mm-hmm. We've, got, we've got athletes here. We've got a couple of boys, really fantastic athletes down in Wollongong. they just got two or three, three of each other to train with. There's two of them who train with each other. Same weight know? category, though. But. Yeah, but like um, – yeah, the same weight. But then you got to think like, okay, okay, there's no point training like the, this guy in Russia who just does, you know, eight or eight rounds by five minutes with different guys. If these two guys, they get sick of each other about after about three rounds with each other. So, you know, you got to find ways that they can train together without, you know, Variety, right? Yeah, so like maybe that. one guy goes left-handed, the other guy goes right-handed when one guy fights Japanese style or, you know, so they kind of constantly challenge each other in, in new ways. And that what happens is when you get put out of your comfort zone, you're learning automatically. It's mm-hmm. automatic learning in a fighting sport. Whereas, you know, if, if you just turn up to the session, you know, you just go into training mode and you just do your same thing all the time. It's a lot, it's not as much learning. You're just kind of uh, yeah. just training normally. So you can kind of um, alter the way you train in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think, one thing that we can do quite, we should be able to do quite well is kind of just change the mentality, change the way we train and train a lot smarter mm. in order to kind of capitalize on better mm-hmm. results. Yeah. But I mean, you know, like, with the, you know, those people probably have world level coaches because they're paid to get, be there yeah. and stuff. So yeah. they have the experience to be able to do that. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Um, so, like in terms of style, you just mentioned this. You know, the style of Russians, and you know, like there are so many styles around the world in judo. Like, yeah. where where did you go, and what kind of styles were you really influenced by on your judo? All right, so um. One thing I notice now when I'm doing judo here a lot, now I'm coaching here, but I still do a bit of judo, is uh, far more comfortable than most people around here at fighting in close. And that's like a Russian style, probably Uzbekistan. We spend far too much time in Uzbekistan. Yeah, yeah. But like um, what what happens is um, like one one thing uh, I did. Wrestling, basically. Yeah. One thing I did well would. I think I did well was I spent time in a whole bunch of different countries. Mm. I spent time in Japan, Holland. Uzbekistan, uh, France. Mm. And what ended up happening is I became quite versatile because I, you know, 
You had exposure to yeah, a lot of styles. different styles. So I could kind of um, I could fight in a few different ways and be quite versatile. Mm. And and um, so that's what one thing I would recommend to developing athletes. Mm. Like if you're going and training somewhere, don't get too comfortable in that place. You keep keep mixing it up, mm. you know. Because yeah. I, I feel like I, you know, I hear a lot of coaches say, "Oh, go to Japan." You know, Japan's yeah, yeah, the yeah. way; it's the original. Or like you've got to train and compete like the Japanese, but. What would you say about that? Because they I, do have other environmental factors that are a positive to their judo that I, we haven't got here in Australia and New Zealand. I disagree with going to Japan for long periods of time. I think you should go to Japan for one month max at a time or two months max at a time. Mm. And you, should, you shouldn't go to Japan as a developing athlete. I think you should go to Japan when you're already established, when you're already getting, um, you know, results at a kind of international competitions, because that means you can just, you already know how to fight. When you go to Japan, they just fight. They just fight for hours and hours before you go. Yeah. So go, go spend time in Europe where they do actual technical development before you go to Japan. You know, ironically, everybody, everybody says the opposite thing. Everybody was like, look, go to Japan, man. You got to go to Japan, go to Japan before you go anywhere else. Yeah. And I went to Europe. I went to Germany for a yeah, year. Me, me, I, I mean, went to, I went. Yeah. I went to Europe first as well. I went three yeah. months in Japan first, but and then I went. You know, I, my objective was to get to to um, Europe. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, but but yeah, like um, so that's why. Why is it though? Why do the Japanese? Well, but the, what, what because they've been uh, they they train like six hours a day from a really early age. So okay. techni- technically, they're they all really perfect. But by the time, like, they're 18, they've got their set techniques that they do. They're perfect at them. So now they just and then, fight. Yeah. yeah, and they just fight and try. Okay. Yeah. And then, like, then a Westerner comes who hasn't done as much judo and they're fighting against these guys with perfect technique. What, what ends up happening quite often is these guys who spend too much time there and they haven't done their proper judo development they just get really good at defending. Mm-hmm. But they don't get but, any coaching either. Yeah, they, the, yeah. You don't get. Yeah, you get, in Europe when you go to train in Europe, you get coaching. In Uzbekistan, you get coaching. Yeah. Like France, you get coaching. In uh, Japan, no, you just the coach doesn't even coach them because he's he just lets them fight. Yeah, because they already yeah they already they already know what yeah. they're doing. <laughs> so you see a lot of guys who go spend a bit too much time in Japan. They come back and they're very defensive, defensive judo, and you know it's. Not necessarily a positive step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, you would talk to if you were talking to a development mental athlete, like someone who's developing their judo and looking to expand into, into yeah. the world of uh, technique and, and developing their skills at fighting. You would tell them to go to Europe first and learn to brawl, and then go to Japan. <laughs> or what? Uh, it depends on the person. <laughs> depends on the person as to where I would yeah. recommend. But um, generally, yeah, I would. I would recommend Europe first before Japan. The other thing is Japan's like a culture shock. Yeah. And if you're 17, you want to go somewhere that's a little bit more familiar. You can turn bamboo, right? Yeah, it's, it's, a lot, <laughs> like, it's a lot easier. Yeah, Like a bloke from Australia or New Zealand or a girl from Australia or New Zealand, it's a lot easier to send them to England or like Holland where everyone speaks English. Then to Japan, where no one speaks English. And coaches and, and other athletes are going to support them, not yeah, get yeah. guidance around them. Right? Yeah, in Japan, no one speaks English, and you you just a loner on the mat, you know. Whereas, so there's that. That's that cool side insight. Too, I think yeah. that's truth. You know that that needs to get out there because too many. Yeah, you know, a lot of coaches ask, they just go to Japan. That's what I did. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, nowadays, there are a lot of strong cultures and and 
I say cultures because the cultures around judo, yeah. not just yeah. Japan. Yeah. Would yeah. you say specific styles do better against another style? Like, would you say like how a, do they compare internationally? Right. Yeah. Like, I, I'm I'm interested to know. <laughs> like, do the Japanese dominate? Uh, they it goes. I think it goes waves. They waves. say styles beat styles in jujitsu, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, it goes in waves. So right now, um, you know, Japan's strong right now, but then um, they got a really strong coach right now. In a way, in a way, in a way, is their coach, and he's doing a fantastic was, job. Yeah, I trained was, six months with Kosei In a way, yeah, I've never been hit so hard in my life. Yeah, but you yeah. know, but you know, you look at Japan right now is phenomenal, but then. Ten years ago at um, Beijing Olympics, they got hardly any medals mm-hmm. for Japan. So, and then on the other side, you you always think of Georgia as a really strong judo nation. But then uh, last year, or no, actually this year at European Championships, they didn't get any medals. So, kind of like it goes in waves, you know. Mm. So, yeah, as we were talking about Portugal. Earlier, I think Portugal's on the rise and mm-hmm. Spain's on the rise right now in terms I, of judo. I know judo. You, you watch a lot of judo, right? Every weekend you're tuning into the Grand Prix, the Are Grand you? Slams <laughs> around the world. Like, yeah, how yeah. do people actually watch this yeah. stuff? Like, if, if any fighter was interested in looking at some judo, how do they do that? Oh, it's easy. You yeah. just um, subscribe to IGF on um, YouTube and it's <laughs> or like, anything, and they'll guide you to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You don't know EG. how many people know that, like, yeah. in, in our side of the world, too. You know, yeah, it's like, you weren't exposed to you that. go, you subscribe to EJU, which European Judo Union, and IGF, International yeah. Judo Federation. On YouTube. And, on YouTube. And they stream and them live, right? You should get a notification, awesome. this event is starting at this time. Yeah, it's quite easy. Mm. Just and wanted to get so, that out there. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, it's a good resource. Yeah, you know, like, people don't watch enough judo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. There's not anything on TV, so where would yeah. you watch it, you know? Yeah. But it's huge. How, how, what would you say, like, a, a young a young, a young uh, prospect, someone that's <laughs> showing – Yeah, like someone's that. showing yeah. all the qualities of it that could potentially take them onto the international stage. Do you think, like, how, how, how are they found? How, how are they scouted? Like they start scouted? winning. Well, how are they? Yeah. They start winning comps, and people are like, "Oh, that kid's good." good question. How does how does that happen? Because I'm from a football background, so man, there are kids that just disappear off the planet because they just never were seen by the right people. Yeah, you know, play. It's I, you never. This is never a good time to be dis like disappear. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, in any sense of the word. Uh, so, <laughs> so okay. Um, look, um, when I see. When I watch kids judo in Australia, when I watch kids judo, mm-hmm. I, like there's very little correlation between success in kids judo and success in adult judo. Mm-hmm. So I don't look at necessarily, I don't look at an untalented kid. I'm, you know, I, I don't really look at it. I look at the work rate of a kid. And that's, for me, if someone works hard at training, yeah, they get more attention from me. That sounds terrible. I give every kid attention in the class. But, but you know, I, I, if someone's willing to work hard and, you know, it's notice, noticeable they have good work rate, that's going to oversee, overshadow, like, you know, the fact that they have slightly better motor skills mm-hmm. as a kid. You know, there's, um, I think it happens in uh, every sport where you see that kid who's, who's amazing, as a kid, and you think, oh, this guy's going to be a professional athlete, and they just drop off. Yeah, I think in I'm a way, sure when in I was a way, kid, I was the most unlikely to be. A, yeah, I think <laughs> in a way, athlete. you'll probably agree with me on this. In a I way, totally agree. If you're naturally gifted, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a curse because it means you don't 
develop work rate mm. as when you're training. Yeah, and you're unpushed by other people. Yeah, like, you're not pushed. You know, you don't strive to, yeah. to attain the level that other people are at. Yeah. So what happens is suddenly, you know, everything's easy for you yeah. and suddenly um, the kid who's been working twice as hard of you catches up, catches up and you suddenly they kind of knock you over kind of and you've never experienced a setback before. It's a bit like it's a yeah. mind fuck. Yeah. It's like, you know, how, how are you going to get back from that? Mm. So there is that side of that it. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, I, I, I rate value work rate more mm-hmm. than actual, like if a kid's winning competition at kid's level, it's like, okay, great, but are you working hard? Mm-hmm. I feel a lot more comes into it at like senior level as yeah, well. Yeah, it's yeah. like mindset. Yeah. Everything needs to be together. Yeah, it's like, especially but, like. Kids, not so much. You know, they walk out, anything could happen. But no, the other side of it is um, their, their bodies aren't the same as adult bodies. So, like, techniques that work on kids don't work on adults. Hmm. Well, you need, and then, you know, people get success as a kid. And then the one, one problem is people are training, some coaches are training their kids on how to beat kids. They're not teaching them good fundamental judo hmm. that it's yeah. going to carry mm-hmm. through. You know, and, you know, kids, yeah, they win a junior national title, then they get to about 14, 15, and the same stuff stops working, and they can't do anything else because they're set to set in their pattern. It's like, yeah. Mm. And then they don't get the same recognition and, yeah. Yeah. and glory that they once had, and then they, yeah, they drop they lose that right? motivation, um, and, they, yeah. and then they disappear. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, like how did, uh, just like with your career, I mean, obviously, you do a lot of coaching now, and you accomplish a lot in your career. And this is yeah. you, why you're in the position you are now to give, you know, at athletes, kids, and and all the levels like the support, and you know, you're able to give us insight into their performance and development going forward. How did you manage and, and fund your world training competition? Uh, you know, coming from New Zealand, Australia, uh, like we're so isolated here. It's obviously got to co- cost a lot of money to get to Europe and train around the world circuit. I mean, I had a very kind parents and brother for a while. There. <laughs> the biggest sponsors in the world. Yeah, yeah parents right. and brother. Be nice to your parents, kids. Uh, yeah, especially um, your mother. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, so they were really helpful. Occasionally, you know, I got, I applied for, to IJF for help at times and they actually helped at times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, going, you know, going to some of the international training, um, centers. training centers around the world. Yeah, IJF obviously paid they fund for that. everything. Yeah. So that's cool. That's amazing. So, you yeah. know, they're, they're, they're actually quite good at helping uh, developing so you, donations. So. so you didn't want to stay in Uzbekistan for four years? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a culture shock. to Olympic Games. <laughs> I mean, the thing about it, that is it's still ages away from all the competitions. <laughs> and then you've got to find yourself to get out of here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. they didn't fund everything. They just funded your food, soup every day, yeah. and uh, your yeah. isolation in a compound. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, it wasn't, at least it wasn't you got judo bad. every day. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't that bad. And you got... Yeah, okay. Uh, they had good baklava. Come on. So, yeah. Where did you base yourself around the world? Uh Uzbekistan. I, mean, I suppose you've established that. Yeah, like, Holland, France, Hungary for a bit, Croatia, Serbia. There's a few. So what took you back to here in Sydney where you coach now? All right, so um, off-season I'd always be back in 
I do like six months in Europe or whatever and six months in New Zealand or Australia. And my parents moved, while I was in Uzbekistan, my parents moved to Melbourne. And then I was in, with them in Melbourne and then they moved to Sunshine Coast. And I was with them in Sunshine Coast briefly. And then my brother moved to Sydney and he kicked his girlfriend out. And, I, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I'll come live with you if I can train in Sydney. So that's kind of how it happened. And I missed out on missed out on Rio, unfortunately. And then I was like, I happened to come to judo. I was in Sydney. I only knew judo people. I missed out on the Olympics. And I went after two weeks of sitting around playing PlayStation. I was like, oh, I'll go to judo. And they're all surprised. Oh, you're back already. And then somehow I kind of got a coaching gig out of that, like yeah, yeah. a few hours a week. And then it built up from there. Yeah, and then, yeah, so I'm lucky. I'm pretty lucky. It worked out well. I think I'm doing a good job. I hope I'm doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are, are right? It sounds like well, are you? So you start 2019, you start. You take over the New South Wales Open Men's? Uh, yeah, um, next year, um, uh, this is going to get published later, so I can yeah. say it. Um, yeah, I found it this morning. I'm head, co- head coach for New South Wales Men's team. Yeah. Yeah. And how many athletes were there? Uh, it's uh, that's Leading up to national championships, I ta- I'll look after the men's team at state training, which is three times a week, and that's about probably about sixty to one hundred athletes. Yeah, so that's across all the weight categories. Across all the weight categories, across, yeah. um, and they'll be <coughs> men's, so it'll be under seventeens, under twenty ones, and adults. Yeah. So you're managing and facilitating a state program, or uh, are you I'm telling the coaches just, what they need, or how, how does that work? I have to plan the program leading up to nationals, and I have to run it along with the women's coach. And we've got we've got other coaches, um, so other assistant state coaches supporting us, along with their like club, uh, club level training. They also go to state squad training. Yeah, they do both. Yeah, athletes got to do both. And then on top of that, there's some other uh, other stuff I have to do for New South Wales judo. I'm not the manager for the national mm-hmm. the national squad. I'm not the manager. I'm just the coach, so I just yep. plan the sessions, plan how to get the best out of the athletes, plan plan how they perform at their max. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. How are we going? Yeah, good. Man. So, yeah, coaching pathways. Like, I feel uh, a lot of these coaches are now in, in judo are quite. Yeah, we've got an aging coaching population. So, an aging coaching population this is a good way to put it because I, yeah. I didn't know quite how to put it but you're you're a young guy like you're 30 i mean essentially that's the peak of an athlete's career for yeah. judo in your category right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I retired early but yeah. yeah for what reasons because oh look um to be honest uh in 2016 it was like <clears throat> i don't have i don't have enough money to do another four-year cycle and my body is probably not going to last another four-year cycle. It's hard on the body. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a common misconception that high-level sports is healthy. It's not. Yeah. So, well, when you don't have the resources, it's uh, not so much. Like, you know, I feel if you had, you know, like the resources or the money to facilitate. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. massages every day might help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, so one thing, if people, the young people are looking to get into coaching, there's multiple pathways. One, one, one thing I'll say is everyone wants to coach an Olympic Games athlete. Everyone wants to go that way, right? It's like just 
if you're a sports person, it's kind of like a bit of a dream. Or mm-hmm. you're a football man, you probably want to coach a World Cup athlete. No, How good? Be, yeah, it'd be good, yeah. I'd rather be the guy playing, but... Yeah, of course, <laughs> but that's... Me too, you know, <laughs> but that's how it goes. Yeah. You know, you live your dreams for how other people. But, sure. but, but like, what happens is, um, you know, that's that's really good, and it's a good way to stay motivated and connected. And for sure, if you feel like you can give back that way, that's brilliant. But if you want to make money, then coach little kids. It's like it's fun. It's relatively stress free, and it's and you can make money for it. And it's also and they're also giving back because you're introducing judo to the next generation. The next generation. Yeah. But, so, but I feel like if you're ever going to coach an Olympic, like an Olympic athlete, like they're coming through the system. They're, you know, yeah, yeah, you've got to start there from something. early on, and you've <laughs> yeah. got to have structure to a program yeah. that's yeah. going to get them there. I mean, no one's just going to walk along and go, "Hey, hey, man." Well, depends if you're <laughs> a state and and national level like yourself. Maybe you'll get. You know, but they don't just walk along every day and go, hey, man, can you take me to Olympic Games? Like, yeah. uh, so, so, you know, simple, eh? like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? Like, I think it's a long-term project. Like, And I've been doing this for two years now, and, um, you know, I've had some high-level athletes that have come up to me, and I've worked with them, happily worked with them. Mm. But then it, it's kind of like, you know, you've put a lot of effort in, and one was unlucky, she got injured. It was bad luck. And the other just sort of quit, and you're like, oh, you didn't, you know, mm. it's kind of like you put a lot of effort into the person, and then they kind of just say, oh, nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's kind of like, so it's better to, I think it's better to take the long-term path and see, and then you see someone who's got, you know, who really wants it and is really hungry and does everything, everything you say at training, no complaints. This is the kind of... I mean, this is like this is a person who you can get who you put you can put your time into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, yeah, cool, man. Yeah, like for we're yeah, really, I've got to like uh, wrap this up. Yeah, but yeah. um, you know, Scott's like gotta, this guy's got to go to work, eh? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. all right. That can <laughs> so you know, it's good to see you like coming through the program as a like as a an athlete yourself and, you know, putting the work in, chasing that vision despite, you know, what obstacles you may see, yeah. uh, you know, along that path, right, and chasing it anyway. But, you know, also coming out the other side with no resentment to the fact you didn't quite make it to Olympic Games. You were obviously very close, what, twice? Uh, <laughs> no, with First time, I just, first time I was injured the year leading up, but second time was... The second the time, reaching. but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm okay with it. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, now taking that role on with like coaching, yeah. I, I feel like not enough athletes really transition themselves from you know international athlete to coach, especially in this side of the world when there's not a lot of money in it, right? But where do you see yourself? facilitating that coaching role from an athlete. Where do you, how do you see that transition? Well, um, yeah, I'd, I'd like more people to um, kind of, and I really, I, whenever I talk to people, probably I'm really, you know, I, I've told you multiple times I'm really happy that you're helping out at UTS, you know, at UTS Judo. I keep telling you that. It's fantastic. And I keep telling, like, the rest of the boys in our team, like, oh, you know, do more of this, you know, we need you. Because it's like, 
it's the it's a new generation that's got to come and help improve things. Like you know, the old guys have done a good job, but when they when they're getting to sixty sixty years of age, seventy years of age, they start getting set in their ways. You know, <laughs> like yeah. and they mm. they and they've only got their own experience. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not traveling the world and exposed. Yeah, to the, yeah, exactly. the current. You know, so you kind of like current. you got to kind of try push push a few young guys into it because you know you know what you want new ideas floating around new ideas within uh, coaching mm. and management of a sport you know and that's how it changes yeah and um so yeah I, part of my job is part of my job is to try and facilitate, facilitate that, get that yeah, through as well get, and, yeah and that's part of what I do for as, um. Mm. And I suppose yeah. also assist them in getting them that information. Yeah. So how can people get in touch with you out there? What? How, how do they get in touch with you? To uh, ask you questions. If they've got more questions, obviously they can drop you a line on Fighters Performance and we'll get that through to you. And, uh, uh, Instagram is probably the easiest. Mm-hmm. My name is even Sapavlinich. Like, no, no one's going to be able to spell it. Uh, you bro. can put it up on the thing. Uh, <laughs> I'll do it, bro. I yeah, just but, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. Like, I'm pretty easily yeah. available on Instagram. Pretty easy guy, man. Yeah, and um, um, cool. I don't bite. It's, yeah. it's all right. I'm pretty friendly. Thanks for coming in, man. Appreciate your yeah. time. That's all right. Love to have you in here, man. Obviously, yeah. we nice traveled and competed you. for years. Yeah. And uh, nice to meet you too, bro. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, know each other. Like, how do you put a podcast together where you know this guy so well and yeah, <laughs> you know all the like you know what you're going to answer them. Yeah. Don't tell any of the bad stories. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't have a lot of time for bad stories, yeah, did we? Good, Unfortunately, because <laughs> fuck, there's so many on you, bro. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next time we'll End do a podcast on your cut bad cut stories, bro. <laughs> cut, cut, cut. So, yeah. as a listener to the show, you probably have noticed we're like we don't have any adverts, so we don't have any funding or support natural fact we're non-for-profit non-for-profit we aren't out to make money we're just here to share ideas so other fighters can train professionally train you know get the resources and guidance they need to train better and and get to the place that you know like uh, all athletes want to go olympic podium right you know so we hope you know you can share this podcast and get a lot out of it if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share with other people who think are curious. If you have any feedback for us on what you've heard on the show, suggestions for guests or anything you'd like to hear, just uh, email me at mark at fightersperformance.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.